Thank you, praise team. We're going to be looking at a number of different passages. If you want to take your Bible and uh, open it to 1 Corinthians 11, that's where we're going to end. Meanwhile, we're going to be looking at a number of different passages. Over the past week, uh, I've been struck, uh, probably like I haven't been for a long time, about the whole idea of communion and how serious we need to take it. Uh, And I think that's possibly because we really haven't uh, celebrated the Lord's Supper uh, in the past year, except for one Sunday evening, and many of us weren't here. I was on vacation even when that happened. And so when we look at how seriously the Bible takes the Lord's Supper, uh, it should sober us up. It should also give us joy and encouragement at the same time. Today we're going to focus specifically on the cup. As we do that, you know, uh, at least I think you know, that the cup represents the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that was shed for us. When you go to the Old Testament, we find that the shedding of blood characterizes murder, but the shedding of blood also characterizes justice when someone premeditatedly takes the life of another. You find that in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, that um, those two things go together. We also find that blood is used to show the plenty, the sufficiency, and the overflowing of blessing. When Jacob was addressing his sons right before his death, he said that one of his sons um, would basically have his robes washed in the blood of grapes. And you go, blood doesn't come from grapes. Well, of course it doesn't. But he was just saying that you will have so much that if you wanted to, you could wash your clothing in grape juice. Now, I know that would, you know... Flavor, not flavor. Yeah, it would flavor them too, but it would color them without a doubt. But it's also used in that blood is something that can defile things. For example, I use this many times when I talk about abortion, that blood defiles the land when blood is shed. It brings a a defiling impurity into the culture and into the land. But it also is very clear in the Bible that blood, the life is in the blood. In fact, is under the Old Testament law, which we do not live under, uh, it makes it clear that if they're going to eat an animal or sacrifice an animal, all the blood needs to be drained from the animal because the life is in the blood and they were not to eat um, the animal with, without the blood being drained out. But we also find, and this is what we're going to emphasize this morning, that the blood gives life. That's what we're going to talk about when we talk about communion this morning. That it is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that gives life. In John chapter 6, and some people take this literally, uh, sort of literally, and uh, well, here's what it says in John chapter 6. It says, it says, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true blood, and my blood is true drink. And they say, oh, when you take communion, you are in a manner that's not real blood, but it's the 
under the appearance of grape juice or wine and matzah that you're literally eating the body and blood of Christ. That is not what it says, uh, but they do quote this verse, and it sounds like, hey, that sounds like what it says. What they don't do is quote the whole passage, because the passage ends with this in verse 63. It is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. Now, both of those things are true. It is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that gives us spiritual life. Because of the blood of Christ, we can be born again. Because of the sacrifice that Christ has made on our behalf. But he says, it's not something we're not biting a chunk out of somebody's arm or drinking someone's blood. That is not what it teaches But this morning, what we are going to look at as we look at the cup, we're going to look at the importance of the blood. Now, you know what happens when you go to the doctor. You go to the doctor, the first thing they do is they tell you to step on the scale, and then you go into the office, and the first thing they do is they slap one of these things on your arm to take your blood pressure. I always joke, it's like, okay, am I still alive yet? You know, that kind of thing. Uh, But they want to find out what your blood pressure is, because it tells you a number of things about your physical well-being. And then the other thing, every time I go there um, for those, you know, yearly things, I think my family doctor's a vampire because they always have to take blood. You know, it's like, hey, we need blood. I get it. They take the blood. Excuse me a second. They take the blood and they analyze it and they say, well, you know, your, your um, cholesterol's too high or you have too much sugar in your blood and all that kind of stuff. And then they come out and they tell you all these things and they do a whole bunch of other things. But they can tell a lot about you by examining your blood. A lot of times, and I've been a blood donor for years and I wasn't able to for a while because uh, I went to Nicaragua or Columbia, I'm sorry, and they said, well, there's malaria there, and they wouldn't, I'd never got malaria, but they said, you can't give blood, and then I got out of the habit, but I'm getting back in the habit again of giving blood. Why? Because there are people, uh, because of an accident or whatever else, they need blood, or they're not going to survive, and so blood indeed, in that case, very physically does help somebody to live, and then when I go to the CPA to get my taxes done, he has a cartoon on his desk under the glass it's very much like this one it's not the exact one but if you can't read it it says agent of the year irs it says blood i got from a turnip you know what now you don't get blood from a turnip just like you don't get blood from grapes but um, well with the way the government is spending money somewhere or the other they may be squeezing blood out of a turnip i'm not sure but the point is blood is important and it's important in all of life. If, you don't have, if your blood drains out, you're dead. So we're going to look at the Passover, the Passover Seder. You may know all of these things. You may have never heard of them before. But we're going to look at each one um, as in order. Because when the Jewish people practiced the Passover, they celebrated the Passover Seder, they had four cups of wine that were drunk during that celebration. 
they do that in any orthodox uh, ceremony today, they still do exactly the same thing. Each one of those four cups represents something. The one that we are most concerned about today is cup number three. We'll talk about that. That is the one that we will be celebrating because the Lord's Supper that we celebrate as Christians in the church is based on the Passover, specifically the Last Supper that Jesus celebrated with his disciples. Now, we don't celebrate it exactly like they did. There's a difference. They had four cups. We have one. And it is the third cup that we will be spending a majority of our time on. But the Jewish people look back at their history when they celebrate the Passover. And they said, and still to the, do to this day, that the first cup that they drank was the cup that set them apart uh, and very specifically according, and this is the verses they use from Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. And it says, and I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. This is the cup of separation or sanctification. Remember, sanctification always means to set apart. And when you're set apart from something, you're set apart from where you were or what was happening to something new. In their case, it was bondage. It was slavery. It was oppression. It was a burden that it's, it says here that they had on their shoulders, the Egyptian people kept them uh, under a burden as slaves, and they were oppressed. God is the one that brought them out from under that burden. And so they say that first cup represents that sanctification or that setting apart. And so the first cup promised that as they celebrated, they looked back at their history and said, God brought us out. Now, we don't celebrate that one when we have the Lord's Supper today because we have a finished work. This cup was drunk before the Passover meal began. And uh, they, as I said, it was in celebration of Moses leading them out. We don't have to do that because Jesus is already here and he was there when he um, had the Last Supper. But he, like Moses and unlike Moses, was the one that came to set us free. Remember, Moses had to have his arm twisted by God to get him to do what God wanted him to do. God heard their cry. He saw their tears. He, heard, he knew their burden. And he came to Moses and said, Moses, I want you to go and set my people free. You know, tell Pharaoh to set them loose. Well, Moses didn't want to do it. And you know, God had to pretty much twist his arm and do some uh, things to get Moses to agree to it. Praise the Lord, we don't have a Moses. We have one who loved us enough to freely come on our behalf to set us free from our sin. All of us are in sin. All of us need that sanctification. We need to be set apart. We were born in sin. <laughs> we live in sin. And we have one who freely came out of love 
to separate us from our sin by his sacrifice on the cross. That's the first cup. We don't celebrate that one because it's already done. Fact is, Jesus said it this way. In John chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. Jesus looked at our condition and said, they're slaves to sin. Not slaves to Egyptians, not slaves to a foreign people, but slaves to sin, and they need to be set apart from their sin. That's why Jesus came. That's cup number one. We need to understand that. Cup number two is the cup of rescue, the cup of deliverance. It's also called the cup of thanksgiving. And there's a couple of reasons why uh, when you look at what the Passover stands for and when we look back on it, we can see. And it's the last half of Exodus chapter 6. And I will deliver you from their bondage. That is the cup of deliverance and the cup of thanksgiving because this cup also was drunk before the Passover meal. But what they would do, and this is why it's called the cup of thanksgiving, is they would read Psalm 113 and 114 before they drank that cup. These are psalms of praise. And that's why they called it the cup of thanksgiving. They were praising the Lord for what he had done for them. Now, after the meal was over, they would read the rest of those praise psalms, 15 through 18, afterwards. And so it is a time of thanksgiving. It's a time of praise when they celebrated the Passover. But in this case, it's the deliverance that Christ had brought to them. In Luke chapter 22, it makes it clear that the disciples had gone to prepare the Passover. And then in verse 14 of Luke uh, 22, it says, And when the hour had come, he reclined at table. And just in case you go, reclined at table? That's what you do when you lay down on the couch or go to bed, right? Well, we, you know the picture that is the famous picture of the Last Supper? Not a real good representation. You know why? Because they're sitting at table. That's what we do. I can't imagine reclining at table. But literally, if you think about one of those recliners that people use on the beach, you know, you kind of lay down, you can lay on it. They would literally, like the Romans did also, they would recline. The, there wasn't a chair. It was like a fainting couch type thing. And you would sit there on your side and, and eat. I don't get it. I don't know why they did it, but I got to tell you, I think you would probably be, I would not be relaxed, but I guess if you did it all the time, it'd be a meal would be a relaxing time, right? I don't know, but they reclined at table. So just in case anybody didn't know that, that's what they did. Uh, The Bible's very clear uh, about what they actually did. But he says, once they had reclined, he had taken the cup, he gave thanks. Notice, thanks. This is the second cup. And he gives thanks. They had already read the, the Psalms. And he gives thanks. And he said, take this and share it among yourselves. And then they broke the matzah. And then after that, they ate the meal. So 
Um, maybe next time we do the evening communion, we're going to do the matzah before we actually take the meal because that would actually make it even more authentic uh, than we do it uh, on the evenings. But this whole idea here represents the care, the love, the concern that God has for his people. He is the one that delivered them from sin, from the world, and from Satan. Think about that. He is the deliverer and not a reluctant deliverer like Moses. He is the one that voluntarily, freely came to deliver us from our sinful condition. And so Jesus is simply using this at the Last Supper to illustrate what he was about to do for them within the next couple of days. He was going to deliver them from their personal bondage to sin. Then there is the third cup. This is the one we're going to spend the time on because this is the one that is celebrated in the Lord's Supper in the church. It is the cup of redemption. You, after I show you, you'll go, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I believe it will anyway. But this comes from Exodus chapter 6 also. And it says, I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. This is, I'm redeeming you. Now I know my wife uses coupons. And when you use a coupon, you redeem a coupon. In our case, coupons are usually enough to entice you to buy an overpriced product at its normal price when you redeem the coupon. I wish coupons were 100% coupons. Guess what? This redemption is 100%. Christ did it all. There is nothing you can add to what Christ has done. Zero. You cannot add anything. If you try, you're messing it all up because he is the one that provided all. The full, total, 100% redemption that we need. It is and does represent the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The life is in the blood. He had to shed blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness or remission of sin. That's what the Bible says in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it was also true. But in that case, it was the blood of animals. In this case, it's the blood of the perfect Son of God in human body. Absolutely, 100% redeeming us. It is the participation of the, in the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood gives life. Remember I said that in the beginning. This was drunk... Right during the meal, kind of toward the end of the meal, or immediately after the meal. Right near the end. So it would be kind of like the transition right at the end of the meal. When everybody's done eating, then they would, they would partake of this cup. And you say, how do you know you're right about that? Well, it's pretty clear from the Gospels that um, this is exactly what Jesus said at the Last Supper. For example, in Luke chapter 22, in the same way, there's verse 20, in the same way he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup 
which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. We don't live under the old covenant. He is taking, and this is a transition. He's going from the old covenant, the Passover, celebrating something that happened many, many years before that, to something new, a new covenant. Folks, you don't live under the old covenant. The old covenant is past. We have a new covenant. It's what Jesus has done for us. It's the finished, complete, and perfect work of Jesus Christ. But Mark 14 says, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Which means it's poured out for everyone. Matthew chapter 26 says, For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Not atonement. Atonement means to cover. That's what sacrifices did. This is for forgiveness. Forgiveness totally wipes it away. Remember, the redemption is complete. The price is fully paid. That's what Christ has done. So he is taking something from the past and turning it into something completely new. And he does that at the Last Supper. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verse 16 says, Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Notice that blessing part, the part of the thanksgiving. And then in 1 Corinthians 11, it says uh, there, uh, the Apostle Paul talking to the Corinthian church, he says, he took the cup also after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Passover looked back. To the Exodus. This looks back to the cross, to the shedding of blood, to a new covenant. And no, it is a remembrance, it's a memorial. It's looking back to a complete, finished, and perfect work. We need to be reminded of that because if you think you can add anything to it, you're fooling yourself. And uh, you are degrading what Christ has done. He said, I've done it all. My redemption is complete. There's nothing you can add to it. He said, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, with great judgments. That's the Passover. He redeemed us with two stretched out arms on a cross when he died and bled for us. We have something much, much greater than the Jewish people could ever celebrate. There's nothing that we can add to it. In every possible way, he has done everything. We'll come back to that uh, in a few moments. But we need to be thankful. And that's what I hope you are today. I hope you take this seriously. And I hope that you leave here today with a clean life because you've examined your life. But you leave here a thankful, grateful person because of what Christ has done for us. Then there was a fourth cup. The fourth cup is not mentioned uh, during the Last Supper, uh, nor during the communion service. 
uh, the, the Lord's Supper, but it was always used during the Passover. It's the cup of the kingdom. It's the promise that Christ would come back. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says, as often as you drink this, you proclaim his death until he comes. Exodus chapter 6, verse 7, where the Jewish people get their symbolism from. I will take you for my people, and I will be your God. You will find that concept over and over again in the Old Testament. You will also find it in the future in the New Testament. God is going to do something. He is going to be with us right in our midst uh, the whole time. And so this was drunk after the Passover celebration. And he made it clear in the Gospels that he said, and I'm just going to quote one of them from Matthew 26, 29. But I say to you, I will not drink this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And after that, they sang a hymn and went out from the Mount of Olives. The whole point is this. He said, I'm not going to do this anymore. This is the last time I'm going to celebrate the Passover with you. That's why we call it the Last Supper. Because he said, I'm not going to do this. But there is a future cup. We don't celebrate that one now because guess what? The millennium hasn't started yet. But we will be there with saints of all times. Old Testament saints. Tribulation saints. And church saints. We'll be all together and we will be with Him. The cup of the kingdom. But we don't celebrate that one today. We simply celebrate the third one. We celebrate His death until He comes. We're not celebrating the kingdom. We're not there yet. We're celebrating his death, his payment, his redemption on our behalf. I'd like you to turn to that passage that I encourage you to uh, have your Bible turned to. All I'm going to do is read it. You've heard it many times. You probably know it. I've quoted a few parts of it already. But I'd just like to read through it to show the seriousness of what we're about to partake of. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper. This is the third cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is something that is for here and now. Not for the future, not for the past. For here and now. It calls us to account. How do I know that? Continue on. But let each man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. When we examine ourselves, we sift our life. Some of you are old enough to know, remember back when the flour had lumps in it, and you would have a sifter. My mom had one. My wife doesn't own one because they put something in that doesn't clump anymore. 
But you would put the flour in the sifter so you didn't have balls of uh, clumped up dough, uh, uh, flour in your cake or your bread or whatever. Not really appetizing. But you would sift out the, the lumps. He says, that's what you need to do for your life. You need to look at your life and get the lumps of sin out. Why? It's all been paid for. All you need to do is repent of it, change your mind about it, confess it. It's already dealt with. It's, you've been redeemed. The price has been paid. You just need to claim it. He says, you need to examine your life. So, if you know there's unconfessed sin in your life, stuff that you refuse to give up, don't take communion. I know why. I'm going to tell you why in a moment here, because the Bible tells me why. I hope you all take it. I never, I never look. I don't know who takes communion and who doesn't. Don't want to know. Because it says, examine yourself. It's not the pastor or the elders examine you. It's you examining yourself. It's the way it is. But if you know there's unconfessed sin in your life, don't take communion. I, I, I say I never want to know who does or doesn't. But it's, it's almost invariably every time somebody will come up and say, I guess you saw I didn't take communion. I'm like, no, I didn't. Well, I want to tell you why I didn't. You know what? It's kind of sad. I wish they would have already dealt with it. So they could have participated. They could have had the blessing and the joy that goes with remembering in a totally wholehearted way what Christ had done for them. But I hope they're going to get it solved. If you know you have something today, right now would be a good time. You don't have to listen to what I'm saying from here out. Uh, Right now would be a good time to bow your head and your heart and just, Lord, I'm wrong. I've got a bad attitude. I've got a grudge. I've got, you know, whatever it happens to be. And then get it dealt with. That's what we do. It says, continues on. It says, for as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You see, if you participate in communion and you're not living out that perfect work Christ did in your life, you're a hypocrite. You're saying, yeah, Christ died for me. He died for my sins. He forgave my sins. <laughs> and I'm still living in them. No, you're not perfect. But when you know sin, you need to deal with it. And he goes on to say that in verse 27, Therefore, whoever eats of the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let each man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. He said, I will bench you. I will take you out. And um, he said, you know, Weak, sick, and sleep, that means they died. And then he says, but if we judge ourselves rightly, we should not be judged. Say, if you don't want God to judge you, judge yourself. That's a much better way to do it. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord in order that we may not be condemned along with the world. I very, very strongly believe in the security of the believer. This verse caps it off and puts a stamp right on that. He says, listen, I will take you out, even take your life, before I would condemn you along with the rest of the world. 
That's talking to believers. He said, if you won't live correctly, you won't live worthy of what I've done for you, I will take you out. I won't condemn you. You won't lose your salvation like the rest of the world. You won't go to hell. But I will take you out. I will bench you from this life. So then, my beloved brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that you may not come together for judgment. And the remaining matters I will also arrange when I come. See, some of them, when they had that evening meal together, and that is the Lord's Supper, it's an evening meal, they were they're being greedy. Right then and there, when they were supposed to celebrate the great work of the Lord, they were being greedy and sinning. Sounds crazy. Praise the Lord. We've, I don't think we've had anybody go home drunk because we don't have any alcohol, so you couldn't go home drunk. But I don't believe we had anybody go home hungry and, and somebody going home and saying, I made sure they didn't eat. You know what? The point is, we come before the Lord and proclaim his death until he comes. We celebrate. It's Thanksgiving. We have been redeemed from the law, from sin, from the past. I know this kind of breaks the mood, but does anyone who wants one of these not have one? Okay, everybody read the sign on the way in. Okay, you need to listen very carefully to what I'm going to say next. Because I practice this in my office. There is a very thin clear tab on top of the big tab. That's what you pull first. If you pull the other one, you will have grape juice everywhere. You do not want that. So if you would pull the the cellophane back, you will find under that you can just dump out the wafer. Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, He took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. Now you can pull back the second tab. You don't have to pull it the whole way off. That way it won't be flying around someplace. But pull it back carefully. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, This cup is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Drink from it, all of you. You will find as you leave the doors, there is a receptacle, a a trash can where you can dispose of this. Please don't put it under the seat. Let's all stand together as we close. Father, thanks for putting us in front of the mirror. Thanks for giving us this time when we need to look at ourselves to make sure 
We take what you've done for us seriously. A time of examination, a time of judging ourselves to make sure that there's a time of accountability for what we do with the great work, the perfect work of Jesus Christ. Thank you for giving us this reminder, this memorial of everything that you've done for us. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Go with God.